team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to our live pal, a Podski Wee Wee postgame show. The Ticats get an unexpected victory over the Bombers, 29 to 23, and improve to six and seven on the season. I'm of course joined by my co-host Josh Smith, making his triumphant return to the postgame show. Josh, are overreact to a Ticats victory? Or are we back to ten toes down? And you think the Ticats have something going here? 20 toes down, my friend. 20. I've got extra toes this week. This was as big a win as this team has had in the last two years, I would say. I know the one last year they pants the Bombers, but this one here, this gets them back into the hunt for second place in the East. They are now literally tied with the Montreal Alouettes for second place. You know the Alouettes do have right now. But that means that if these two teams just go shot for shot, the rest of the way, the very last game of the season at Percival Mosul Stadium in Montreal will be for second place and a home playoff date. It, it was it was improbable. It was unexpected in a lot of ways, but we have now seen this team win three out of their last. The offense was cooking for the most part. The defense came up with some timely plays. It seems as if in this stadium they just have the Bombers number, and it's it's hard to dislike that right now. It's it's a it's a good day to be a Tiger Cats fan. Absolutely. So let's get right into this game. The first quarter starts off with an Erlington return. He he returns the ball to the 43-yard line, Hamilton 43-yard line. Powell passes to Godwin for a first down at Winnipeg's 42-yard line. Uh, Tim White picks up a first down at 27. The drive stalls after that, uh, but they get a 32-yard field goal, and it's 3 nothing with 10.35 left in the first quarter. A pretty good opening drive from the Ticats. Yeah, you would have liked to have seen it end in a major, but we saw Wilson we'll get into that a little bit later. But seeing them come out and look, I w- I'd say competent. They were looked more than competent to start this game. Look, shitting football team was, was really nice to see. Absolutely. Uh, Winnipeg's opening drive stalls at midfield. They're forced to punt. Hamilton takes over at their own 24-yard line. Tim White gains a, gains 52 yards on a reverse sweep play where there was two receivers going opposite directions in the backfield. What do you think about that one? Would have liked to have seen him take it to the house. He's so fast. I thought he was going to that one, but it was nice to see them reach into their bag there kind of pull off a little of the old trickeration as they like to call it. It was uh it was a good play call. It was at the right time and the right the right instance. And once we get into the whole 
dissecting this game, I think we're going to have a lot of words of praise for Mr. Scott Milanovic, but it was just another instance of him kind of digging into his back and coming up with something at the right time. It just it worked perfectly and helped set up uh, the, the first touchdown of the game. STE gets involved with the catch and run after a nice block. So he blocks the guy and then he kind of releases. Uh, Powell finds him for a first down. They're at the Bombers 10. Taylor Powell connects with Godwin. Six-yard touchdown. And suddenly it's 10-0 Hamilton with 434 left in the first quarter. You couldn't ask for a, a much better start for them unless scoring, you know, two touchdowns on the first two drives. But I'll take 10-0. Yeah, that's exactly it. I was... I was thinking the exact same thing. You almost couldn't script a better start to the game for the Ticats than what we got, but it, it could have been a little bit better. But if you're if you were to tell me going into this game, take a ten point lead in the first ten ish minutes of the game, I would have taken that every day of the week. You know, it was we, we and you've talked about this on the pod. You wanted to see them start fast, get out. Mm-hmm. To they finally did that in this one, and it, it paid dividends. Caleros hits Dembski on a deep pass to the Ticats' 23-yard line. The Bombers answer back quickly. Caleros to Dembski for the touchdown. The con- convert is missed, and McAllister takes it to the house for two points. It's 12-6 Hamilton b- with 51 seconds left. I mean, the Bombers score, but to get the two points back was kind of a deal. It was a bit of a momentum shift, was it not? Like, it really mm-hmm. felt as if... They give up the big. They give up. I think Dembski had like a match catch on that one, and and we'll get into the, some of the issues that I had with the secondary. They won the game, but it's not all you know roses and chocolates for for talking about what the guys did today. But they give up the touchdown, and then to come back, re like kind of steal because that's one of those things where it's like, oh man, they they're up ten, they give up a touchdown drive. Oh geez, things can start to unravel as we see with this team all year. But it's like they. They found a way to make a play happen, and it, it at no point, as much as I'm sure you in this game thought that there were times when it's like, oh, man, I really wish they would have done this here, or a mistake happens, or so on and so forth. It never really felt like they were ever out of control of the game, and even here, they give up the touchdown drive, but they get two points themselves, kind of steal momentum back rather quickly. It was something we haven't seen from this team this season, so it was nice to see today. After that return, the Tabbies take over on their own 48-yard line and that second quarter. Let's get to the Winnipeg 28-yard line and take the three. It's 15-6 to for Hamilton. So not necessarily putting up touchdowns, but scoring on each try that they've, they've had the ball. So that's nice to see. Uh, Caleros finds shown for a big pickup to the Ticast 25-yard line. Kind of a reoccurring theme in the first half. Caleros going deep and finding his receivers. Yeah, it was an ugly game, especially an ugly first half for for half of of that secondary. That will, uh, I'm sure, we'll get into more in depth after we we kind of recap what goes on. But yeah, he kind of was picking apart the field side there for for most of the game, especially in the first half, and for for good reason. There was inexperienced players there, and Winnipeg's a really good offense. Claros is a really good quarterback. They know exactly where to to go at teams, and they did it very successfully early on. Lawler catches a TD in the back of the end zone. It's 15-13 to 13, Hamilton with 9.37 left in the half. The Tiger Cats move the ball past midfield, and then Powell connects with White for a big gain to the Winnipeg 27. 
Powell and White connect again, and Hamilton is down to the Bombers' four-yard line. After that, James Butler punches it in from the two-yard line. It's 22-13 to with 3-2 in the half. Another touchdown from the Ticats offense. And it just seems, and I know we'll get into the Powell stuff, but later on when we're talking about individual players and positional player or groups, I, I just feel like Taylor Powell is getting more comfortable each week and he just he's just gaining confidence and this offense is really cooking with him uh throwing the ball around. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what I, I wanted to see in particular when if you go back and listen to the podcast we did when Bo got hurt and we knew Powell was gonna be the starter because Schultz was still out, I was like I wanted to see them use these six games to get a good evaluation on what Taylor Powell could potentially be. And I think we've seen over the course of these games, there's been up and downs. And as Ken Austin, former Ticats coach, once famous is saying, like progression isn't always linear. There's hills and there's valleys. So it seems as if the last couple of weeks in particular, like he struggled a bit against Toronto, in the- but he looked really good against Ottawa. His numbers aren't as good in this one as they were against the Red Blacks. But this is a much better team in Winnipeg. I almost think that this was a more impressive performance. He seemed poised. And I think we there's been a lot of talk about Chad Kelly, rightly so, and a ton of talk about Dustin Crum and Trey Ford, also rightly so. I think Taylor Powell needs to be getting a little bit more into this conversation of these first-time starters. Like, Kelly's on a level of his own mm-hmm. because of what the Argos have accomplished. But Powell's team is better than Crum's. Powell's team is better than Ford's, although – for you know, Edmonton has obviously taken a taken a significant leap in the, with Ford under center. It's time we start talking about Taylor Powell in this conversation. Maybe one of the next good young quarterbacks in this league. And we've seen guys get chewed up and spit out in the CFL all the time. They come in for a handful of games. We think they're the next big thing, and they flame out. But seeing how he's progressed and seeing how he he seemed to have command of the offense today, like I, we hadn't yep. seen before. Like he made a couple of mistakes, and we'll get into those a little bit later. I'm sure, but. For the most part, he seemed very poised. He he was he d- didn't have that sort of happy feet kind of like to run all the time. Like he did escape the pocket to make some plays, and more often than not, made good. I I felt as if this was his best looking game this season. Even if the numbers don't equate to what he did last week in Ottawa, I just feel as if this was one where he. He seemed to put it all together all at once. And to do so against a really good team in Winnipeg, I think there's more or says more about how he's developed as a player over these last six games than, you know, putting up the big numbers against an Ottawa secondary last week that has been getting shredded by the pass. Yeah, like you said, the numbers weren't necessarily there, but, uh, you know, consider the competition and it's just uh, really, really impressive. Calero hits Dembski for a huge gain. The Bombers are down to the Ticats' nine-yard line. But Cass Antonis comes in on a safety blitz and gets to Zach for his second sack of the year. Bombers take the three. It's 22-16 to with 127 left in the first half. I thought Cass Antonis played tremendously in this one. I think this was his best game of the season as well. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into the specifics of it a little bit later, but I just wanted to say that because I – he, he's, especially with Tunde Adelike out there, he, Katzentonis has taken the mantle as this team safety now. And again, the more he's gotten a chance to play, the better he's gotten as well. He's making those plays like those sacks. I'm sure we'll talk about reception a little bit later. But he's starting to, he's starting to heat up as we get down the stretch drive here. And I think that's only a good thing. He's starting to show the playmaking ability to see. And if you can translate that to consistently at the pro level, like I 
Bell's maybe the next best safety in the CFL. <clears throat> Bombers get into field goal range at the Ticats 40 with four seconds left, but he misses and McAllister returns it to midfield. It, he almost broke one there. And you, could you imagine the Ticats going into the uh, to halftime with a touchdown there on a walk-off uh, return by McAllister? It, it looked like it might happen about at midfield, but unfortunately he got tackled, but it was pretty exciting. It certainly was. And if he would have scored there, I would have, that would have been the game for me. I think that they would have, this would have been, it ended up being a closer game, but I think there's just, there's a couple of instances in this game where the Ticats had a chance to really put the game away early and failed to do so. So it made this game a little closer than perhaps it should have been. However, they got the dub. So that's all that matters. But yeah, had McAllister taken that back to the house, that, that Tim Hortons field crowd would have been absolutely electric. The third quarter starts. The Ticats take over at their own 43 after the opening kickoff. Powell runs on second and nine and gets 10 down. Taylor Powell has really improved on, you know, deciding when to run the ball. DPI on Winnipeg on a wild play in which Powell scrambles down, avoiding sacks, and heaves the ball down the field to the four-yard line. Uh, a massive penalty on Winnipeg. Yeah, and it was one that they really didn't need to take. Although it looked to me as if they got away with a little, like a little head hit onto, onto Powell on that as well. It looks like he was spinning out of some pressure. But, of course, you know, sitting up in the stands, it's hard to see angle. But... Yeah, it was like it was a bad penalty for the Bombers to take because it really set up the Ticats for a chance to kind of go for the kill shot there. Loxley punches it in from the one yard line. It's twenty nine to sixteen with eleven twenty three left in the third. Uh, nice to see Loxley come in and execute that uh, that QB plunge. So the Ticats uh, take a, another a commanding lead up thirteen. The Bombers marching with ease into Hamilton territory, but the Winnipeg drive stalls. At the Ticats 44-yard line, the Bombers punt. Hamilton takes over at their own 8-yard line. Yeah, the Tic- defense, we're, we're going to have to talk Go about ahead. that in some in some some length with how the defense played this one. Uh, I wasn't expecting them to to come with the game that they came with, but they looked pretty darn good today, did they not? Hello. All right. I, th- uh, I was gonna say. I think. I think he disappeared. Right, I think I, I. I dropped out on you there. All right. I'm. I'm back, and we're. We're good to go. Uh, the Bombers punt. The Ticats go two and out and punt. Bombers take over at the Ticats 53 with 7:58 left in the third. The Bombers drive into the red zone, but Carney gets the and returns it out to Hamilton's 49 yard line. A massive turnover for the Ticats. Yeah, I was waiting for that shoe to drop in this one, too, for the defense to make one of those big back-breaking plays. Unfortunately, we didn't really capitalize on any of them, quite frankly. So it kind of kind of was all for naught. But, I mean, it did take points off the board for Winnipeg, which obviously made a difference later in this game. So it wasn't as if it was impactful at all. It's just you really like to see some points go away after things like that happen. Sean Thomas Erlington with a nice effort on a catch and run for a first down. Oh, is that There's, the one where he fell on the catch and then got up and then pulled yes. over and then bowled another dude over but stepped yeah. out of bounds? That was an incredible individual play on his part. Like, that should have been caught for, what, a 
two yard loss. Mm-hmm. And so I think he picked up like 15 yards. Absolutely incredible. I thought John Tom Zerlington played, he wasn't asked to do a lot in this game, but when he was called upon, thought he played really well today. Yeah, you stole the words right out of my mouth. He he didn't get a lot of touches, but when he did, performed uh, uh, pretty good. So a legal contact against Winnipeg. It's first and goal from the tight uh, cuts from the nine. But unfortunately, Powell throws a pick in the back of the end zone with 107 left in the third. And you got to be asking yourself if that uh, interception was going to come back and bite the Ticats on the ass. It didn't, but it uh, definitely crossed my mind at the time. Certainly did mine as well. And it was one of those things where given the score at the time, I believe it was what, 29-16 at that moment, you're thinking like, oh man, if even if it's an incomplete pass, you just kick that chip shot field goal. Now you're up 16. That's two scores and two two-point converts. I think you're feeling a little a little easier there. It was the it was the one poor decision that Powell made. Like I know he fumbles later in the game, but I'm not really going to put that on him. Winnipeg brought the house, and this, he the ball out quicker. But if what are you, what are you supposed to do? Things like that happen. This was the one that I would have. I think he he especially would have wanted back because I think this was the one where he made. He made the the biggest the only real mistake he made in this game was this throw. If he could have that back and they could get those points, would have been would have made for a much easier fourth quarter. Speaking of the fourth quarter, Caleros goes deep again, but it's picked off by Castantonis. Hamilton takes over at their own 23-yard line. He put the ball up in the air, and I thought to myself, oh boy, here we go. Another deep pass connection for the Blue Bombers, but Castantonis flies in there and, and grabs the pick. Yeah, quite honestly, if I recall, like watching Bella, whoever he was throwing to was never really open, and, and Castantonis was back there like covering center fielder. Like it looked like at best that was going to be a knockdown. So for him to come down with it, again, they, the offense didn't do anything with the ball, unfortunately. But again, they potentially kept points off the board for Winnipeg. And in a six-point game, that's huge. Powell finds Godwin for a plus-yard gain up to their own 48-yard line. The drive stalls at Hamilton's 52. They punt. Winnipeg takes over at their 15-yard line with 12-21 left in the fourth quarter. Winnipeg are forced to punt at midfield. Hamilton takes over at their own 20-yard line. Powell scrambles around in the pocket and finds McAllister on the sidelines for a first down. Uh, Powell is is really um, doing a good job of buying extra time in the pocket. Not necessarily running all the time, but just scrambling around, buying buying time, looking downfield, and finding his receivers, which is really nice to see. Yeah, and I, you know, you don't want to make the comparisons because it's not really fair, but that's not a play that Bo Levi Mitchell would have been able to make. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. that, It is a, a play that Matthew Schultz would have been able to make, but that wouldn't have been something. Bo wouldn't have scrambled to get out of the uh, pressure there and find that throw, unfortunately. It's that it's that extra athleticism. And I don't think Taylor Powell is uber athletic or anything like that. Like, he's not a trade forward type, but he can do enough of it to extend plays and, and find those first downs, which has proven to be very important and was very important in this game. That first down kept the clock moving, kept Winnipeg's offense off the field. It, it mattered in that moment. Like if the Bombers get the ball back there, who knows how this game goes. Hamilton chooses to punt from the Bombers 40 on third and one. Winnipeg takes over at the 32. What did you think about that choice? Uh... It was a little more than one, and they had the wind in their face. So I don't think uh, – was that the one that also had the penalty on it as well? Like, was that the 
Yeah, because I, I it, you know they didn't really. Um, they only I think net yards would have been only eight yards on that punt because Winnipeg yeah. took, took over on the thirty-two. So I, I think so. Yes. Given how the defense had been playing up to that point, I didn't hate the idea of punting. Normally, I would I'd be on the I think just go for it. Like I think it was like third and a one and a bit, but. At the same time, it's I, I understand why they did it, even if I didn't. I, it, normally, I don't love the call, but in in that situation, you're up by two scores. You don't want to give them all at that point, and you know, on that side of the field, like it, it made sense. I didn't love it, but I I understand where the thought process is coming from. Zach Caleros under pressure and throws another. Ticats have the ball at the Bombers' 45 yard line with 6:34 left in the. Huge interception once again. Once again, uh, you know, they had a, a number of them in this game, and it was very nice to see them pick up some uh, some turnovers. Yeah, unfortunately, the very next play, yes. they gave the ball back. So, yeah, again, Paul gets pummeled and fumbles, and yeah. the Bombers take over on their own 52. So, yes, it didn't last very long. The The Blue Bombers drive for a quick touchdown. It's 29-23 to with 3.12 left in the fourth. And uh, I'm sure Ticat fans all over the country are starting to sweat at this point. It was extremely nervous energy in the stadium after that fumble and drive for a touchdown. Like you could almost feel the people in the crowd doing the math going, oh, you got to be kidding me. They're going to lose this game 30 to 29. They're going to lead the entire way. And in the last three minutes, they're going to surrender a big drive. There's going to be a big play deep or something. And they're going to lose this game. It's the Thai Cats way. They get our hopes up and then they crush our dreams. It's what they've been doing in my life for the better part of 35 years. So I, I could get the sense that people were very uneasy at that moment. Uh, so it's nice that the catharsis and the sound you heard when this the final gun sounded and it was over, it, it probably had a lot to do with that nervous energy in those final three minutes. Hamilton gets one first down and then are forced to punt from their own 42 the Bombers take over on their 42, and I believe there was a penalty in there, a 10-yard penalty, misconduct penalty yeah. uh, in there as well. And that also led to the, the the thought process of like, okay, now they're starting to bid and they're starting to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's all starting to unravel, and it's like we played so well for the first 50 this game, led the entire way. They get the ball first, they get a field goal, they never surrendered that lead. But you're thinking, oh, here we go. There's going to be 50 seconds left, and Claris is going to find Dembski or Schoen or Wolotarski or someone in the back of the end zone for a touchdown, and we're all going to leave miserable again. Crawford and Sales, though, get into Claris on a sack. It's second and 15. I thought the defensive line really the intensity on that last drive. Defense as a whole did. Defense as a whole did. They were down the stretch, which is not something we've said about them much this year. So it's third and 15. And the pass is incomplete with 125 left in the clock. Uh, no, Claris throws a deep ball. It falls incomplete on third and 15. Ticats take over on Winnipeg's 37 with 118 left. Butler pushes ahead and drags a couple people with him and makes it third and short. Loxley pushes ahead for the first down. Game over. Ticats win 29 to 23. Uh, I, 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 I can't believe they pulled this off. I, from now on, do this. Ticats Bombers games in Hamilton. I'm taking the Ticats. This is the second year in a row that they've done this. 
coming into a game, everyone counts them out. They're playing the Winnipeg Blue Bombers who are running away with the West Division crown. And they put out this type of effort. It was shocking. And yet now we've seen it two years in a row. It's basically a trend. So when these two teams meet up at Tim Hortons Field next September, which it seems like is the same weekend they always seem, seem to meet up now, Remind me of, of these happenings because I'm going to be I'm going to be all over the Tie Cats in this one. They this was this was probably I think the the game last week the second half of that game against Ottawa was the best we've seen them play for that BC game was probably the best overall game. That second half was probably the best and defense, especially late with the defense getting stopped when they had to. This might be the most impressive win they've had this year because even though that BC game I guess was. No one saw that coming as well. Doing this against a team, your back's up against the wall. You kind of need this win. We talked about it on, on the show this week. We were hoping that they could go one-on-one in these two against the Argos and Bombers. And if they did, we'd be pretty happy about it. They've already got the one win. So next week, even though mm-hmm. you'd, you'd love that second win, getting this one here, now they're tied in the standings with Montreal and they, makes it a lot more interesting. There's some belief in this team now that they can maybe make a run here. Because if they get second place in the East, that's a game away from getting to the East final. And Ticats, Argos, at BMO in the East, like, I don't know. I'm, I, I won't get too ahead of myself because we've been guilty of that in the past with this team. This win, though, it, it's won three of their last four. They've beaten Winnipeg and BC in that run. I'm starting to believe a little bit, buddy. What about you? I am. You know, the win against Ottawa last week, I, I wasn't – you know, it didn't, it didn't make me believe, but you know, to beat a, a team like Winnipeg and look really good doing it, uh, then, you know, the defense had its problems obviously, but for the offense to keep up with them and then out duel them, it's really impressive. And you talk about innings now, they're six and seven, just like Montreal. Uh, you, you look to the West crossover, you know, Calgary's four and nine, Edmonton's four and 10, uh, Ottawa is, is three and nine, could be three and 10 after this game against BC. This win really, really helps the Ticats playoff uh, journey, right? Absolutely. Like, I I was pretty confident that this team was going to make the playoffs before today, but then Edmonton goes into Saskatchewan and knocks off the Riders, and I was like, oh, man, the Elks are making a little bit of a run here. But getting this win, getting the six, like, I don't think this team's now going to lose five in a row. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think this team can get to – well, we did it on the pod this week. I, I had him losing this game and finishing eight and ten. You had him losing this game, finishing nine and nine. I don't think a nine and nine season now, which would more than get them into the playoffs, might be enough to get them, especially with the way that the have been playing recently, kind of falling off the map a little bit here. I think they've lost what four in a row now. Nine and nine might be good enough to get them second place. And with the Argos now having clinched home field, they're first in the East, guaranteed. With six games left, they got nothing left to play for. Like, could they be rusty? Like, this win is a big boost for this team and just makes this division and and the the upcoming playoffs a little bit more interesting for me because I do think this team's going to – this win, I think, solidifies this team will be a team this year. Mm -hmm. I think it would have – some catastrophe would have to happen for this team now not to get to, I think, at least eight wins. You know what I mean? So eight will be enough to get you third. I think I don't suspect that Calgary and or Edmonton will do enough to get there. So, yeah, it uh, it certainly makes the uh, the final five games of the regular season mean a whole heck of a lot more than we thought after, before going for this game had happened. 
And it's funny how a week can change your mind, right? I mean, yep. you look at Winnipeg and you look at Toronto a week ago and they're juggernauts. There's no way anyone's beating them in the East <laughs> or the West. Okay, okay, okay. You might have said that. Yeah, yeah. But majority, I'll give you credit for that, Josh. But then you look at the game Toronto played against Montreal and yes, they won that game. But it didn't came down to like the last couple plays. Then Toronto's offense didn't look so great in it. And then you look at Winnipeg's game today. Anybody's beatable, right? Yep. Absolutely. So it's very, inter- very is, interesting. And the thing that you have to look at, and I, despite the under 500 record the team has right now, you look at this roster and there's a lot of championship experience on this team, whether it's making it to Grey Cups or Cups. Casey Sales has won Grey Cups. Jameer Thurman has been to Grey Cups. I think he even I think I'm pretty sure he was on the Stan Peters team that won it in 2018. Uh, I could be wrong. Someone check, can fact check me on that, but I'm fairly certain he was on that team. Maybe not a starter, but definitely a role player. Obviously, Bo, who's, you know, he's not he's not playing, but that's a guy that has championship experience. The coaching staff, everyone on the coaching staff has been to a Grey Cup. Scott Milanovic, and he has won multiple Grey Cups. You look at the defensive side of the ball. Chris Edwards was on the Argos last year, won a championship. He has been here a number of years, been to multiple championship games. So there's a lot of experience on here of guys that can be like, you just got to go 1-0 and every week, and you can stack these wins up and make a run. So I think that speaks volumes. You saw this team, like, we've been down on them, and I think rightfully so, and fans have been down on them, I think rightfully so. But when you see a win like this against an upper echelon team, you do start to get that belief. And I think this team has had this belief in them the entire time as well. But now you're kind of seeing, and I said to start the season, I thought this, I didn't expect it would take some final third of the season for them to hit their stride. But that win against BC, we all got excited about it. Then they get pummeled by the Argos on Labor Day and we're all back down in the dumps. And as you said, they go into Ottawa last week and they win, but you're, it's Ottawa. You're not overly impressed. And the Ticats beat Ottawa all the time now anyway. So it's not, you don't, didn't really know what to expect. Now you get this one. Now I think that collectively as a fan base, Ticat fans can now start to go, okay, can we believe that this team is going to be playing at Tim Hortons Field on the 19th of November? I think it's fair to think those things now. So what do you think about Taylor Powell's play tonight? Uh, It was a good performance against a top-notch opponent, and uh, he just looked poised. He he's confident in his throws. I think he, I think the O line formed really well in front of him to give him time. But uh, overall, what do you think about Powell tonight? I thought he was excellent. Uh, I mean, he made like I said, he made the one big mistake, which could have proved costly, but didn't. But hopefully, he can learn from that going forward. I just as good as he's played, I do know that the second bow is healthy, and it wouldn't surprise me if that's this upcoming week. Bow is going to go back into the starting lineup, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. What we do know now is if Bo falters or if Bo gets hurt again, I have no fears whatsoever of Powell going in there and conducting this offense and doing it at a professional level. Like, he's a raw rookie. The, the amount of raw rookies that come into this game and games like this, you very rarely, if ever, see it. I can't recall the last time we saw a rookie quarterback I know Chris Strebler came in as a rookie and he looked good in spurts and everyone was like, you know, Strebolution, they all loved it. But he wasn't the, the passer that Taylor Powell was. And we've seen him progress mm-hmm. and get better each and every week. Like I said earlier, there's hills and valleys in this, but 
you can see the progression and how he's starting to, the game looks like it's slowing down for him and he's starting to do, he, I don't feel as if it, he feels as if the game is on his shoulders. He can trust his playmakers. They have a running game, which wasn't overly exceptional tonight, but they stuck with it. And then late in the game, as you said, James Butler picks up nine and seven eighths of a first down to, to then do the quarterback sneak to seal the game. So it's like, the weapons are there. Tim White, even though, again, didn't have a massive game, although he had over 100 yards of total offense. 52 of them came on a run. But Kerry Godwin stepping up. Omar Bayless is stepping up. We saw Sean Thompson. Like, everyone is doing their part. And this is what we need. This is how a young quarterback. The Ticats, I thought, had a good game plan up front with the offensive line. I thought they gave fairly decent protection. I know that they went big a lot today. So they were clearly trying to do something to stem the tide of that very good Winnipeg pass rush. But – he just seems more comfortable back there. He's limiting the the terrible mistakes, just the one today. It's praise all around for Taylor Powell for me. The offensive line, what do you think about them tonight? They give up three sacks on the night. Uh, you know, but didn't have a massive game, but I think he finished the game with 82 yards rushing. And then as a whole, you know, they were well over. 100 yards rushing. I'm going to pull it up right here. So James Butler at 82, Tim White at 52, Taylor Powell at 23, Kay Loxley at two. So yeah, well over 100 yards rushing uh, and some pretty good protection tonight from the O-line. Yeah, they rushed for a buck 60, which is, they got it from multiple players, but still that's, mm-hmm. that's significant. Absolutely. And, and we, well, when we when we talk about the defense, we're going to, have to talk about how they stopped the run today, which I didn't expect to see. But Again, I don't think the offensive line was fantastic, but they were good when they needed to be for the most part. I think they the only real we saw we saw Powell escape a bunch, um, not a ton, but enough where it was like okay. But I think a lot of those times also he's holding on the ball, and it's, it wasn't as if the only real time I'm completely under pressure right away was when he fumbled, and that was really the only time I can recall that they were just under siege. You know what I mean? Like even the earlier sacks, like there was an early in the game I think I think it wasn't the first series of the game caused them to kick the field goal uh he just came on he the the, the pass rusher just came in unblocked and, and sometimes that happens you don't want to see that happen but I thought overall the offensive line played decently well they weren't as good in the run game as they were in pass protection but I mean now that this was the second game where he had this unit together be Revenberg with Manzi and then on the ends Murray and Figueroa the more that they play this unit's going to be so I thought they were pretty good against Ottawa I thought they were a little bit better today I'm excited to see how they're going to be going forward too I think Figueroa got injured in the second half and uh Did he you again? Know, I think so and I think they had Revenberg at tack at the left tackle position so they had you know that the the weird uh, depth chart they released I think they had that offensive line playing in the second half but with that said, I mean, they did a, a fine job with it in the second half. If Revenberg was out there, um, he did a pretty good job. Okay, well, I'm going to have to look into that because I did not notice that at all. And I didn't really notice any any spot where, like, usually when a guy gets hurt, you know, he takes a knee on the field and you can, oh, okay, so-and-so's coming out. I guess he, if he came out, it must have been after a series or whatnot because oh. I'm seeing that. But uh, I'll take your word for it. That's something I'll have to look into. All righty. So... The rushing attack, we touched on that. Milanovic, Scott Milanovic comes in. He replaces Tommy Condell, you know, four or five weeks ago. I forget exactly. The offense has picked up. I I thought you had a a pretty darn good game plan today. 
I got to eat a little bit of crow here. I think I did not expect, I expected this team to do well at first and then kind of divert and go back into what it was before. And they've kind of maintained this competent to a little bit better than competent level. This is the, again, three wins in the last four, they scored 30 against BC. They scored 27 and 29 in the last two. They even scored 20 plus against the Argos. So I got to give him his flowers, man. Like this, this move has really paid dividends here. I'm curious to see if it can continue going forward, but it's clear that maybe a new voice in the room has helped, or maybe it's just when he calls what he calls. And we're also, have you noticed though, not a whole heck of a lot of those horizontal plays. We're not seeing a ton of screen passes. We're not seeing it a ton of like jet sweeps. I know they used a couple of them today. That seemed to be the staple of Condell's offense. And the other thing is we've now seen this team come out of breaks or start games well. We saw them like last week, they started really well against BC. Then last week they came out of the half and just steam this one. They start hot. They come out of the half. They score a touchdown. Those things seen with this team previously are there now. And I do have to wonder if that's a little bit of the Milanovic effect taking, taking hold. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I'm guilty. I thought that, you know, Milanovic kind of, his offense kind of fell off his later years as a head coach. And then he came back and I thought maybe his offense was a little played out, but you know, a, a lot of his offense is, is used by a lot of teams still in the CFL, I believe. So he's, he's, he's calling the right plays at the right time. And I think that it's not much difference from what Tommy Condell had as an offense, but like you said, it's just situ- situational and the timing of the play calls. Like when we see a screening pass now, it actually makes sense and it's not it's not very often. So it catches the defense off guard. So I think he's done a great job since he's been here. And he stuck with the run game. And like how many times did we see in the past? Like CJ Gable was the alumnus of distinction today. And all I could think about was, man, oh man, what would you like in a Scott Milanovic offense with his skill? Because we know Milanovic loves running backs that will pass block. Well, C.J. Gable was the best in the league when he was around doing that. We know he could catch out of the back, run the ball. They stick with the run. Like, James Butler only had 82 yards. He had 22 carries today. Like, so he's under four yards a carry, which is not what you want to see. It's terrible in the CFL, quite frankly. But they stuck with it, and they stuck with it. And it paid dividends a couple of key first downs on Butler runs. So the fact that they don't they don't get two and three yards on, like, five carries to start the game and then just completely abandon the run game mm-hmm. is also a big change from Milanovic coming on board. And I think that that's helped the team as well. Yeah. And then I think the big thing about that is they're, they're not falling behind massively where they have mm-hmm. to pass the ball. Yeah. So to be able to stick, cause they're in the game the whole time they're leading most of the game and to be able to run the ball when needed in the second half and, and throughout the whole game really helps this offense, especially with a, a talented back like James Butler. Uh, you want to touch on the defense now? What do you think about the secondary? It was kind of a tough first half for them, but I thought they were better in the second half. It was hit and miss. One side, the the uh, the boundary side, I thought they were pretty good. Kenneth Gordy gets an interception. JV Nelly had a couple of really key tackles. Obviously, Katzentonis, probably the defensive player of the game for this one. Field side, however, they got torched. Dexter Lawrence got beat deep on, I think, with a Nick Dembski catch. There was Lawrence Woods, I think, a couple of times got beat deep. I think once by Dembski, once by Kenny Lawler. Oh, no, it might have been Drew Wolitarski. I can't remember. Oh, no, I think it was the Kenny Lawler touchdown. Like, he just 
that side with the inexperience there and Lawrence Woods is, has now proven, unfortunately, that he's not a professional corner. I like the guy. I, I think he's a good dude. He's a great return guy, but as a corner, he's he's not that good, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So the Bombers did what they're supposed to do. They found a weakness in Hamilton secondary, and they exploited it. Now, like you said, in the second half, things started turning around. That's when they got all their interceptions. I know only two of them came by DBs, but the, uh, they, whatever they did defensively, and again, credit to Mark Washington on this because I did, wouldn't have seen this coming just like I never saw it with, with Tommy Condell. They changed up in the second half because – the deep passing game didn't work as well. It worked somewhat, um, but didn't work to the effect that we saw it in the first where it seemed as if guys were two, three yards beyond their, their coverage eyes. I will also say, however, being live, and maybe it'd be different watching on TV, sure as shit seemed to me like the Bombers were offside on those waggles a ton a tonight. A lot, a lot. I noticed okay. it like three or four times, uh, like – it, Not by a little amount, like by a couple yards, I thought. Yeah, that, it seemed that way. So I might have to go back and try to watch the game again to, to see it. But it just looked to me, Nick Dembski, like, on, like the last Bombers heave, Dembski was easily two yards offside. Now, maybe this, you know, if we watch it in slow motion, we'll see that he hits it. And it's just great timing. But it certainly seemed as if he was offside. Yeah. And Don't I know show it can him be deceiving. I know it can be yes. deceiving, um, you know, on TV or even at the game because it goes by the snap of the butt. Man, oh, man, it sure seemed like they were offside quite a bit there. My buddy that I go with was having a freaking – I thought he was going to have a heart attack. He was so <laughs> – he's like <laughs> screaming about the offsides, and it's like it didn't ultimately hurt. But at the same time, it's like if they were, like, what, what are we doing here? Like, like let's get – like, that should be easy stuff to, to correct. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The specials, uh, anything jump out at you tonight? Mark Leggio was two for two on field goals. Uh, he hit all his extra points. Um, not a, you know, McAllister was pretty good in the return game. What do you think? Has to feel pretty good for Mark Leggio, doesn't it? Watching the guy miss a field goal mm-hmm. and an extra point that's then returned for two points. So let's do the Mike. He misses one, then he misses three, and that one is returned for two. So if, if, you know, looking at my fingers here, if one plus three plus two equals six and the margin of victory in this game was six, he's got to feel pretty good watching his counterpart on the other side be maybe the main-ish reason that this game didn't at least go to overtime. Like, pretty pretty crazy to think that Mark kind of went to pick and understandably so. I'm not saying he deserves to stay there, but – He's had a really nice bounce back season. He had that one game, was it against Edmonton, I think, where he just couldn't hit a damn thing. Otherwise, he, he's been tremendous. McAllister had a couple big returns. Obviously, the two-point convert will stand out. Uh, but, yes, I mean, specials wasn't really anything to write home about, but I just really feel good for Mark Leggio. He definitely, he definitely came with it today, and seeing how the game played out had to maybe add a little bit of a smirk on his face. Yeah, he He's with the Ticats minus that one game, you know, <clears throat> you couldn't ask for a, a better for better performances from a kicker. He's really, <clears throat> excuse me, filled in nicely uh, since coming in, uh, replacing Seth Small, who was also a kicker. You want to get no into the Twitter? Really, yep. Yeah, sure. Just one last thing. No one really talks about Seth. Like no one's asking. No, they Seth, Small, Seth Small. Yep. Out of sight, out of mind, and like, and look, when Leggio came in to replace him, I was as concerned as anyone, remembering what he had done in Winnipeg. He proved me wrong, and uh, I'm rather happy about that. 
All right, let's get into the Twitter comments from Forever Canadian. Can, can, can I ask you something? Let me guess. Sure. A lot, yeah. a lot fewer comments than we got after Labor Day, I would suspect. Not as many people because when they win, no one wants to talk about it. But when they lose, everyone wants to shoot their <laughs> mouth off. So I imagine there's probably, like, what, a dozen yeah, maybe two, three, comments four. today? Way fewer than we normally get when we do this after a loss, I would suspect. Yeah, not as many. Probably about 15, I'm counting here. Uh, not bad, but uh, it definitely... We definitely feel the flames of uh, hatred after the the team loses more than we do uh, when the team wins. We don't get as much of a reply from from everybody, but that's that's, uh, that's human nature, right? Absolutely. Uh, from Forever Canadian, huge win, great defense versus a solid offensive team. Taylor Powell has something; seems to get better every game. Hashtag Go Cats Go. Yeah, and you know what? That's a good point because. I think winning in the fashion that they did, having to hold on, winning a close one against a, a good team, I think is it's almost more positive or more reaffirming. You know what I mean? Like they went into BC and they obliterated the Lions and it was kind of like over before that one started really. Like it was just like, holy smokes, they just whitewashed them. This one, because they, they had to do something, they had to, they had to you know, show that intestinal fortitude at the end to stop them on defense, get that drive. You know, they get the big third down stop late in the game. They need to get a first down. They get that. It's almost as if this is, is a bigger statement win because of the way that they went about doing it. It wasn't as if they went out here and they won 50 to 15. They needed to show that and they showed it. And I think that that come playoff time, the games are going to be close. There's, there's very few blowouts when it comes to playoff football and CFL. You get when it comes down to nitty gritty with these good teams, it's usually close games. So I think this this will help them going forward in the way that they won. From Boyd, my mood happy, and then there's a happy face. I think we're all pretty happy after after this one. Yeah, a very unexpected victory. The the Tie Cats are just a baffling team this season, but uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we're going to see some good things going forward here with the next. I think after the Toronto game, they have a serious chance of, of, of winning, you know, having a winning record going three and two or, or are three and one or four and oh after that Toronto game. So we're going to see down the stretch what this team is really made of. And uh, con- con- talking about baffling, this continues of not being able to pick this team to win football games on the spread or straight up at any moment in time. I follow this team on a daily basis and I do not understand it whatsoever. I don't know if that speaks to my incapabilities or what, but whenever I think they're going left, they go right. So basically if I say something's going to happen with the Tiger Cats, when it comes to how they're going to perform on the field, go in the opposite direction. Yeah, I'm usually the same. Uh, Fortunately for me this week, I had them at plus six and a half on uh, picked on our gambling show on patreon if you anybody wants to check us out there um from narrative asset builder o-line protection and QBing are improving exponentially secondary still the achilles heel yeah but you know what if the, we knew that going into the season did we not like we talked mm-hmm. about where this team allocated their resources and we knew the secondary was going to be in tough now they suffered some injuries there if richard leonard's there i don't think the bombers have that type of deep ball success what we have seen, though, is a rookie in Kenneth George start the entire season at Boundary Corner and get better as the season's gone on. If this team's going to have a weak point, I'd rather it be in the secondary. Although I don't think that the defensive line has, has you know, been up to the standard that we thought they'd be this year. But I, I do understand the secondary was not great in this one, especially in the first half. 
threw for 350 yards or something like that. But they did what they had to do when they had to do it. And uh, I, you can't be too hard on them when, when, when they come out with a win and, and stop a very potent offense. I mean, Winnipeg scored 51 a week ago. And this week they scored 23. So kind of hard to be too critical, even though there is places where you can, you know, cast a critical eye. Front two lines pass is attempt at trolling, I guess. Is a huge win when you know they would win? A huge is in uh, quotations. This is the Argonaut comments on the postgame show. Uh, after every game, it seems. I don't understand what you're trying to say here. I don't think anyone knew they were going to win this game. Did you know they were going to win this game, this game Josh? No, no. I, and, and <laughs> let, let's go look at the... Uh... Let's go look at all the, the Canadian sports outlets that pick games. Let's look at CFL.ca. Let's look at Three Down Nation. I would hazard a guess maybe two, one, pick the tie cats, and they probably were just like taking a shot. Because sometimes I pick, like I pick three down, I pick on gut. Like when the Argos lost to the Stampeders, I just had a gut feeling the Stamp would win that game, and they did. No one, the, you know what? Honestly, can, can I, can I, I mean, Stop reading that guy's stuff. He's clearly an idiot. He clearly, like, <laughs> honestly, like, he's just a fucking moron. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, it's funny. We can sit here and make fun of him. But at the end of the day, it's like, talk to, to fans who aren't complete tools and actually have something to say instead of spending their time where apparently he's an Argos fan yet he, yet he wants to talk about Tigers. I mean, good. I guess, you know, there's nowhere to go to talk about the Argos because no one gives a flying fuck about them. But <laughs> seriously, like, get a life, dude. Like, <sighs> Go, go, go be your doofus self somewhere else. I love it. Sean DeVette, Sean DeVette. Simone had another big game and as soft as we look against the deep ball early, the defense really got stronger in the second half. Frustrating Zach. That, that's fair with Simone coming. I've been harsh on him and did not like the way he played early in the season, but he's had a couple of good games the last few weeks. And did he get robbed of that pick or did it hit the ground? It was very close. It was very close. I thought that it did hit the ground, but I don't know. I personally, I think it could have went either way because there was no definitive proof that he tried. Okay, so it, if it was so. if it had been ruled an interception on the field, you likely think I it would think have stayed so. that way as well. Okay, I so it's just they so. couldn't see because they should they showed a couple of a couple of shots in the stadium, and the one they showed really looked like he had control of it. But if it's one of those ones where it could have gone either way tend to stick with the call on the field so i guess we'll uh i guess we'll we'll let it slide from mike tombolin tombolini i am very impressed with taylor powell best young qb i have seen in hamilton for a long time uh i would agree with that i mean dane evans looked pretty darn good that's what i was gonna say it's like a long time like how long are we going back here because 2019 dane evans looked great 2021 dane evans looked great last year he struggled so I, i understand the sentiment and i do agree that Taylor Powell, like how like, the fact that they had they and now they're developing Powell, like that's two quarterbacks that this team has developed in the last five years when they never develop quarterbacks. And if, even if you want, you want to give him credit for Mazzoli because he came in after one year in Edmonton and really developed into that quarterback here. This is not a franchise that develops quarterbacks. We go out and we sign your Henry Burrises, or we sign your Bo Levi Mitchells, or we go get Danny Mack, or Jason Moss, or Casey Printers, or Kevin Gliner going back even further, like name, name, name to see them kind of start different backs is, is rather nice. So while I disagree with the verbiage there, I understand the sentiment and it is nice to see a, a homegrown Tiger Cats quarterback play as well as Taylor Powell has the last few weeks. 
from Master Norm. Didn't see that one coming, and against a top tier team. Wonder Hold if on, they... but, I, but, I, but but didn't that jackass earlier say we everyone saw it coming? So <laughs> yeah. Norm must be Norm must be wrong. Sorry, Norm, you you must be wrong because some idiot bozo in Toronto said that everyone should have seen the win coming. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Just... And 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 yeah, I don't I don't understand the chirp. Uh, there, he wonders if they can reproduce that when they play the Argos next week. That's that's the question, right? And we we yeah. haven't seen this team be competitive against the Argos now. Basically, aside from that one game they won last year, the Argos have stomped them since that comeback in the final two years ago. So next week will be another big test. Winning this one makes that game, especially because the Argos have already clinched first. It's not if I got to get up. To- but winning this game makes that game mean a little less overall. I think it'd still be nice to go into their barn and knock them off. But I'm sure, you know, Dingus Boy will come back and be like, well, the Argos have already clinched first. And, and that, not, not the guy that asked the question. I'm talking about the dickhead from before. I'm really I'm really on this asshole. Um, he'll come back and be like, oh, they already clinched first. It doesn't matter. Who cares if they won? You know what I mean? So, again, the Ticats having won today makes that game a little like they still want to start stacking want to get that home playoff game you want to get host that east semifinal makes it a lot easier than traveling but winning today kind of yes i want to see like you remember when you were talking on the pod like we we made that agreement where if if they lost these two games we weren't going to lose our minds and then you you came up with the with the corollary of well they have to look good mm-hmm. if they look good against toronto but lose i think that seeing them kind of stack good performances after another we'll have seen you know what i mean so i guess it, we'll have to see what they can do against the argos if it's another blowout victory for toronto then i think the doubt creeps back in about what the ceiling for this team is but as of right now the sky seems to be the limit from adam consoli like to hear your thoughts on what the cats will do when mitchell is healthy because i'm in the pal train so far you think there's any chance they stick with him no and i don't mean that to be dismissive i just don't see i think this team would have had to have gone six and oh with bow out for them to even consider that and even then i don't think they do it Bo is going to get every opportunity to be the starting quarterback for this team what powell's play has done however is they can be patient with Bo. they don't have to rush him back like they did earlier in the season when they rushed him back if We've seen enough at a power that's like, okay, he can competently guide this offense and win football games. Maybe Bo spends another week. You know what I mean? Maybe it's like, okay, he's ready, but not ready, ready. So it's bought the team a little bit more time, but I think the second that Bo Levi Mitchell is back in uniform of practice is the second he re- remains just re- retains his position as starting quarterback. I don't think there's any questions. And that's not a knock on Taylor Powell. That's not a knock on the question. I just don't see – you didn't bring in Bo and pay him a half a million dollars a year to not start him when he's healthy. That's just the, that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah, and now we know that if, you know, if Bo is in and he's terrible, the offense doesn't look the same, they can always go to Powell, you know, in yep. a pinch. And I'm sure <clears throat> they're going to give him some time, and if this team's in the playoffs, um, you get the chance to start. But if things go wrong and we're in desperation mode – Powell comes in and he can run the offense pretty well. So now it looks like we have two legit starting quarterbacks and maybe even three. I know he hasn't looked the best this year, but we, he's shown that he can perform within this offense as well. What, what this has done for me, Powell's performance more than anything, is it has all but guaranteed that this is Matthew Schultz's final year in Hamilton. Taylor Powell yeah. will be the backup quarterback next year to Bowling. Very similar to what we saw with Dane Evans. Dane Evans 
beats out Johnny Manziel for the backup job. They send Johnny. Well, he beat out Vernon Adams first for the third string job, and they let Vernon Adams go. Then he performed so well in practice that that gave them, and, you know, Manziel field issues, gave the Ticats leniency to trade Manziel because they felt comfortable with Evans as the backup. And I think that that's what this this is what's going to happen here. Matthew Schultz will be playing elsewhere next year. Bo Levi Mitchell will enter the year as a starter. Taylor Powell will enter the season as the backup quarterback. And the Ticats will find a mental player or two to stick into that third role like Powell was this year. So that's, I think, more because we've seen that Taylor Powell can play. So now if, again, if Bo, and he's been susceptible to injuries. I know there are a bunch of different ones, but he's been susceptible to it over the last couple of years. If he was to go down next year and you have to start Taylor Powell, I, I don't think that they're they'd miss a beat. We've seen it this year. We'll see it next year if it happens as well. But I think that's what it's done more than anything. It's given you confidence that if Bo gets hurt again this year, that Powell can go in and play. It's also kind of solidified that Powell will start next year as the number two quarterback in Hamilton. From Tiger Sammy, it's a picture of that that scene from The Simpsons where uh, that's it, back to Winnipeg, and it's got the Tiger Cats <laughs> in the Winnipeg, you know. Good stuff. Uh, I saw someone Simpsons say that they, they, they need to be called in a peg because we stole the W, and I really like that saying. Uh, I like that. I like that too. <laughs> From our buddy Adam Stalker, Revenberg was great at left tackle after Fig got hurt in the second quarter. Okay. Second, second half. quarter? Jesus Christ, yeah. what the hell did I see? I didn't notice, notice it until the second half, but Adam's always on top of these kind of things, so... We know he's uh, he's accurate. Second half was a little too conservative, but it was enough. Back to back, great coaching performances. You know what? I'll give. I, I agree with him about the conservative nature of the play calling in the second half, offensively especially. They just it seemed as if they were intent on milking the clock as much as they, instead of after, especially after they scored that first touchdown, and then they get the ball. Like after that interception in particular, it felt as if they kind of dialed things back and were kind of like holding on for dear life versus trying to throttle it up and maybe get that kill shot late in the game. So yeah, very astute option. No surprise coming from Adam. From David Tucker. I will say running Butler on a big two second and six late in the game was a questionable coaching decision for me, which led right to a punt and putting more pressure on the defense. He came through big. I just felt like they could have done more to drive the ball and maintain possession. I agree that that's the one where Butler, they run him up the middle and he like tries to hurdle dudes when he's like five yards away from the first down marker. That's, that's, that it kind of dovetails nicely into what Adam said. They got too conservative in that position. I know they're trying to take time off the clock. I really wish they would have gone with some sort of passing play or maybe stack them up like they should pass or something, but it just spoke to that sort of conservative nature that happened like late in the game, especially in the fourth quarter. From Stacy Dullaban, it's good to see Powell scrambling, definitely improving as a CFL quarterback. Absolutely. From Tiger Sammy again, today was a nightmare. I left my house at 1245. My car wouldn't start after I got gas. My wife had to rescue me and let me borrow her car. 15 minutes into the drive, she called me to tell me I had her house keys, so I had to drive back to St. Thomas. Then made it to Hamilton at 4.10, spent 25 minutes looking for a parking near the stadium, missed the first quarter, but it was still worth it. 15 toes down, eat them raw. <laughs> All right, well, you're five less than me, Sammy, but uh, that's okay. 15 still good. Uh, 15 toes is still pretty confident, I must say. Yeah, it's extremely confident. Not as confident as 20, but still pretty confident. No, no. 
well, what if I say I have 30? Huh? What are you going to well, do then? Just, that's just ridiculous. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> the 30. There's, there's two of us, and that's 20 toes. Fair enough. Third person uh, here. I think you're talking about your 20 toes. I think you, oh, man, you toes. had 20 toes. Oh, you're counting my toes now. <laughs> your okay. toes are my toes. I have okay. toes. All right. Fair enough. From, from David Tucker. Big win at Porton time for the standings as the, as the Elks climb the West. Offense started hot. D played great, keeping W at bay. Uh, o had no points on third crucial turnovers and slowed down. They could have taken this game away from Winnipeg with more showing there, but we got it done. That's, yeah, that's the, the no most points off thing. the turnovers is especially concerned. Not, maybe not concerned, but you know what I mean? Like that's the, the another area like that and the – Field side of the secondary are probably the two biggest. Like, oh man, what if? Like, if that secondary could have held up if they don't give up those deep passes, or if they can find even three field goals after those three interceptions. Like, we're talking about a much different outcome. Like, again, there still would have been a win, but it would have been a blowaway win. But uh, yeah, I, again, there are things about this game to criticize. But it this is this is a jubilee. This is a celebration, bitches. Like, we're celebrating today. Got two more, and then we'll we'll go off into the night from Jared Breyer. And took the lead on the first drive and never let up. Powell played a really good game, and our D had Zach and Ola Verriera's. And you know what? We didn't talk about that, and that's what we're going to talk about now. Brady Oliveira had nothing going on. Finished with nine carries for 46 yards. The Bombers in total rushed for, I think it was... 96 or 93 yards on the ground. The Ticats are giving up over 125 yards on the ground a game to stop the top running back in the league and do it with, and again, we're down most of the game, but they weren't down enough where it was like, you just have to throw. They were having success in deep passing games, but to hem in there, that rushing attack, the way they did to, to not let the league leading run off for anything as long was 17, which is a good run, but 17 of his 46 yards came on one carry. Pretty damn good run defense performance. To do that with Dylan Wynn being out for the first time, uh, for being out again, really solid outing from the group, and they deserve their kudos as well. Yeah, it was really nice to see, especially as the weather starts to turn here, as we get closer to playoff football, we all know that the running game is pretty important, uh, especially in the East Division when you're going to be absolutely no matter what. So you're well, going to be and you're going to be going up against some some tough running backs. Like it's going to be yep. your William Stanbacks, your Jess Renan, Twees, Walter Fletchers, and then of course if you you have to go through the Argos to get to the Grey Cup, and what do they have? They have a bulldozer and a running back. So to see this team start to put together a decent, I, I need. I, I'm very curious to see how they how they do against Olet this upcoming week. But for them to be able to run the football or to at least consistently stick with the run and stop the run, I know people are like, it's modern football. The run game doesn't matter. Still matters. Still matters a lot, especially at this time of year. So yeah. let's let's see this continue to go. We know that James Butler can do in this offense with, with Milanovic calling plays. Now let's get that run defense up to snuff, and maybe this team will actually have a chance to make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, you got to have that run defense up to snuff because, like you mentioned, the Argonauts, they have Oled, obviously. They have Andrew Harris that can back him up this new kid that they they're just unveiling yeah. i saw him you know he's more of a speed demon I, I, he, he looks pretty scary out there so you have you have the guys like um olette and harris who can run through you and then you have this new kid who can run around you and and use his speed so it's going to be vital in the playoffs sure all right our last one from adam stalker again the argos fan on labor day was right 
We beat the Bombers. We were more physical on the lines. Give Washington his credit. His half adjustments worked. Only gave up 103 passing in the second half. 21-4 and 56 had their best games of the season. Didn't get sacks, but got lots of pressure, plus QB hit. What a perfect way to tie a bow on this massive victory heading into a crucial stretch here down the drive. Just a perfect final tweet to read out, Mike. Absolutely loved it. What a game today. What a performance from this team. It's going to make for a very fun week in Hamilton this week going into a rivalry game in Toronto. Absolutely. And we will be back with our regular podcast. It'll probably be released, you know, midway through the week. Check us out on Patreon, Podski Wee on Patreon. We will be back live for the post-game show against the Argonauts next weekend. And thanks for joining us tonight. For Josh Smith, I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.